Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Season 7 of Speaking of Green. I am your hostess, Beth Bond, Curator of Sustainable News at Southeast Green, and we are kicking off Season 7 with one of my dear friends who is also uh, a colleague and actually a very smart colleague. Um, She is behind a lot of the work that happens in the state in regards to EV policy and EV education. Um, Her name is Ann Blair, and she is the Program Manager for SACE's Clean Fuels and Bioenergy Programs. Her work focuses on diesel emissions reductions, advanced transportation, and the utilization of biomass for electricity and fuel production, with an emphasis on state and federal energy, fuel transportation, and climate policy and education. Ann joined the SACE staff in 2003, serves on the Green e-governance board, the Southeast Diesel Collaborative Leadership Council, the steering committee for the Pine 2 Energy Coalition, facilitates the Tennessee Diesel Working Group, and is a graduate of the Environmental Leadership Institute, and is the lead author of Safer Ride to School, How to Clean Up School Buses and Protect Our Children's Health, and a Case for Healthy School Bus, Lessons from the Field, and previously worked with River Network of Washington, D.C., the Fund for Public Interest Research Group, and as an AmeriCorps volunteer with the National Park Service. She's a graduate of Randolph-Macon's Women's College in Lynchburg, Virginia. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Beth. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, um, I got the press release, I guess, 10 days ago, and I was like, we've got to get Anne on the show because y'all have done something that's pretty cool. Tell us about what um, SACE has just released. Well, thanks. Uh, we are really excited about this up, um, this new analysis that we're releasing on the economic opportunities of electric vehicles in Georgia. Um, in 2005, uh, the Georgia Zero Emissions Vehicle Tax Credit, which was a very generous tax credit of $5,000 for electric vehicles, and um, hereafter I'll refer to them as EVs, Um, that tax credit was repealed and a new $200 user fee was added to um, all EV registration. So if you purchased an EV uh, and registered in the state, you have to pay an additional $200 for that. Um, At that time, Georgia was second in the nation in terms of the overall number of electric vehicles on the road with 1,000 registered each month. But following the repeal of that tax credit, we've seen more than a 90% reduction in EV sales. And uh, that has been a significant hit to Georgia. And so we recognize that one of the challenges um, in communicating with legislators was that there wasn't this recognition of what the statewide benefits of EVs really are, you know, there was a lot of talk about this being a primarily a, an Atlanta technology that can just benefit Atlantans. And so we wanted to dive in to find out really what the economic benefits would be of additional electric vehicle policy. There's great data currently on the environmental benefits of electric vehicles, but there was a gap in the economic data. 
So in, in a coalition with Plug in America and others, we contracted this economic analysis to understand specifically if we uh, reintroduced a $2,500 tax credit, which is half of what the credit previously was, and reduced the user fee um, that was that's currently required for EVs, what would those economic benefits really be? And what we found is that there would be $54 million in an increased income to the state with the adoption of a new policy, the addition of nearly 1,000 full-time jobs, and $100.4 million in gains to Georgia's GDP. So the economic benefits are very powerful, and they, these are statewide benefits. They don't benefit just a select few, and new electric vehicle technology can work no matter where you are in the state. Uh, battery ranges are getting much longer, um, which will help increase the flexibility of people using the technology um, in different parts of the state. And um, charging infrastructure is also increasing, uh, which increases consumers' potential, what's considered range anxiety, being able to charge when, when a charge is needed. Well, and, and the whole thing about range anxiety, um, I realize that, that you can get range anxiety in a gas vehicle. We just don't call it range anxiety, right? But who hasn't all of a sudden, like, been bebopping down the highway and realized, whoops. <laughs> so in some respects, I think that um, this whole idea of range anxiety is is a little overstated with EVs because we do have it in a gas car. We just we don't think about it, you know. Um, now, in regards to can you charge where at the next exit where you're pretty comfortable you're going to be able to get gas to the next ex exit, that's a little different. But um, Georgia Power has really stepped up to the plate. Tell us about the network that they're developing and the infrastructure for charging. So Georgia Power... Um, invested a couple of years ago in a new pro program to increase charging infrastructure across Georgia. Um, they uh, anticipated spending around $12 million for that program, and they um, that program includes a, pl a public charging infrastructure along major corridors throughout the state of Georgia. Um, it also includes rebates to both businesses and to residential customers for the installation of um, charging infrastructure at those locations. For example, I can install a what's called a level two charging station at my home, and Georgia Power, once I submit the paperwork, will give me a check for $250 for, for that uh, equipment. Uh, for businesses, it's $500. So they are taking some important strides in advancing the ability of people to charge very quickly um, and have that dependability of charging. And their charging stations are very well maintained. They're very responsive if there are problems. And we hope that, that the company will continue to invest in, in charging infrastructure technology and that there'll be support on the regulatory level to allow them to do that. Well, and I, we've got uh, Georgia Power's got charging right downtown. Well, actually, not right downtown Decatur, but over at the uh, local uh, Kroger in downtown Decatur. 
And mm-hmm. I, it always makes me smile to see those charging stations there. And people do charge on them. And, you know, I, I think um, it would be great if gas stations could sort of get up to speed and really start thinking about this. Um, I was at a local chain recently, and they um, had set up tables outside their location for people to sit and eat. Um, and it's sort of ironic to me because they were like, well, no one's going to sit and charge. I'm like, well, you expect, clearly you expect people to sit and eat ice cream outside the store, so why wouldn't you put in a charger? But I guess that's that's to come. I mean, there certainly is, um, I, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say wide adoption, but it's certainly you cannot get on the road um, anywhere in metro Atlanta and not see one of these EVs. And 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 you may not recognize them, but they really are everywhere. Do you do you think? I know you all are trying to go back for another um, tax credit. How hopeful are you that that could actually happen? Well, I think it, it's going to take a lot of work, but I think there are some glimmers of hope and interest within the legislature that that this technology. I mean, this technology really is the future. And Georgia, being a previous leader with uh, with nearly 21,000 electric vehicles still on the road in Georgia, I think we you know we are we still have the opportunity for that technology transfer for the you know for folks to recognize um, the benefits of the technology and share that information with their their neighbor. And I think that more and more uh, decision makers are, are, you know, if we do a good job, if we demonstrate what the economic, environmental, and overall technological benefits of investing in this technology is for all Georgians, not um, not just a small group of folks, but if we can properly demonstrate what those benefits are, I think that we'll have some support. But it will be a lot of work. moving into the the 2018 session for sure. Now, we all know that there is one brand that everyone is in love with, even if they would never even consider having it, right? So we'll just skip the Tesla conversation because I think that was one of the challenges is people thought, well, we don't need to give people who are driving Teslas a tax deduction. But the reality of it is the largest deduction was on the low end, right, with the uh, Nissan Leaf. And now right. there's major adoption coming in, um, um, you know, in regards to uh, the uh, first Bolts, not the Volts. The Volts is, of course, the hybrid from Chevy, but the Bolts are the all-electric. Um, and they have just rolled off the line. So, And Kia is has got um, options um, also. So we're starting to see a lot more manufacturers involved. So you would think that um, this would, because one of the major criticisms was, you know, was the whole Tesla. Like, well, if you can afford Tesla, you don't need the tax credit. But the reality right. of it is, is, is there's lots of, you know, what a medium to small size options that would really, you know, help boost adoption and and keep money. And that's the thing that just baffles me, right, is, is it keeps money in Georgia. That's right. Well, the number of electric vehicle options is growing on an even monthly basis. Um, in addition to Tesla, which you know has the Model S, the Model X, 
and is coming out with the Model 3 that is um, considered the more affordable Tesla uh, with a price point in the $30,000 range before any federal or statewide tax credits that one could apply for those. But all the major engine, original engine manufacturers or OEMs have electric vehicles in their lineups. Um, one of the other issues that was discussed a lot um, at the legislative level was that the previous tax credit was primarily a Nissan tax credit. And while a, the large majority of people were adopting LEAFs, that at the time was one of the only what's considered, you know, affordable uh, electric vehicles on the road. And so they did get a disproportionately uh, a number of, of, of that tax credit. But there's a Ford Focus Electric, the Kia Soul EV, which you mentioned, the Chevrolet Bolt, which is now available and available for order and will be here um, in inventory later this year. It goes 238 miles on a single charge. It is around a similar size as the Nissan Leaf and is a great addition to the to the lineup. Uh, the BMW i3. Um, is, a, is another popular um, vehicle on the road. Um, and there's a whole host of plug-in hybrids that are available. You mentioned the Chevrolet Volt that's available. Um, but also, I recently test drove the new Chrysler Pacifica plug-in hybrid minivan, and it is amazing technology. Um, it gets 33 miles on a charge, and then you have the gas backup taking you uh, around the 350 or so total mile range uh, in that before you have to, you know, either charge or fill up on gasoline. So it is a great transition for families who want to begin in, get into the habit of plugging in their vehicle. And, you know, most Americans drive fewer than 60 miles a day, and so these plug-in hybrids are a good transition for folks to get in that habit of plugging in vehicles. Um, but of course, the benefits of uh, all electric with longer ranges will have um, substantially greater environmental and in the future economic benefits um, broadly. Because you, you know, you're buying electricity local and particularly if it's renewable energy, you're keeping more and more money in the state. Well, and that's, you know, that's one of the detractions that I've heard. It says, like, well, you're, you know, if you're doing it with electricity, then you're still importing into the state. Well, I mean, I mean, large and wide, that is true, unless you're, you know, fortunate enough to have solar on your roof or, um, but, but the reality of it is, is the impact of using electricity versus uh, gasoline is just, it's just exponentially better to use electricity, even if it is coming from a fossil fuel. Yeah, I think that that's true. And, you know, as we all know if in this field, that the grid is getting cleaner and cleaner. And electric vehicles, as as the industry grows, that this is a technology that's only going to get cleaner into the future as the grid gets cleaner and cleaner. So uh, the benefits, you know, are... are will get better over time. Well, and of course the other thing is is, is that 60% of the, the electricity now in North, 
I know back when they, they took away the tax credit, um, it was just transitioning, but now 60% of our fuel source is from natural gas, so that's still much much cleaner than, than coal, of course, but also for the gasoline. Well, what are other policies on electric transportation that um, we would, you know, you think that we should have adopted here in Georgia? So in addition to uh, additional incentives for electric vehicles, we would like to see the user fee, the $200 user fee in Georgia, reduced to something that's more equitable to the impact that electric vehicles are having on the road. Um, the user fee was put in place uh, basically as a substitute for lost gas tax revenue that you know EVs are not paying because we are not purchasing gasoline. But in fact, we're being double taxed because we're now having to pay this $200 fee, but we're also having to pay electricity tax. Um, so the $200 is more equivalent to a heavy, uh, large truck, um, that, well, how much they would pay in gas tax revenue. But EVs are still less than 3% of vehicles on the road in Georgia, so their impact um, is, is smaller. An ideal policy is that a user fee would be implemented once there is a, a certain percentage of EVs that are adopted on the road. But this is a widespread problem of these new user fees being adopted across the country. And uh, we don't object to user fees being adopted, but we do think they should be triggered by the, the number of vehicles on the road and that they should be um, more equitably um, uh, – the, the, the cost of those should be more equitable to – to the impact that the vehicles are, are having on the road, which is you know between you know fifty to seventy five five dollars. But overall, I think what our leaders need to look to do is develop new policy structures for for dealing with transportation infrastructure, road building, and how to pay for those costs, and not uh, put that that burden on EV drivers, which are providing an overall benefit to our environment and our economy. And I, I think they're being unfairly taxed right now. Other policies are bulk purchase requirements for fleets. For example, the city of Atlanta um, has committed to increasing the number of electric vehicles in their fleet, um, as well as a, a goal to install charging infrastructure. So uh, city level and statewide requirements for, for a certain percentage of electric vehicles uh, in fleets is another policy option, and uh, improvements in building codes so that new homes, for example, are uh, EV ready, uh, ready for level two charging station when they're constructed, uh, and also in creating uh, greater ease and access for uh, the installation of charging infrastructure. Those are just a few of the additional policy options we'd like to see. Okay, so let's have the honest conversation and say, how likely are they, and what are the main barriers to those being adopted? I think a, a large part is just continued education and awareness about the role that electric vehicles are going to play in our transportation future. Um, both electric vehicles as well as uh, autonomous technology, they're going to work hand-in-hand -hand with car sharing and other programs, and I just think there needs to be a, a lot greater uh, public awareness as well as uh, educating 
you know, legislators about what the role is uh, for the technology and why it's good for the state. I think there remains a, a big gap in commitment from more groups to engage uh, in these issues and, and the benefits that they'll have in the long term for um, improving the the resiliency of our energy system. Electric vehicles have a role um, in, the, in our utility grid as well. So I think it really all comes down to education. So not to be completely unfair to our legislature, <laughs> but uh, anything that, you know, sort of falls into the sustainability realm um, seems to be punished in our legislature. Um, you know, I'm not saying there hasn't been progress made, but, you know, but there there still seems sort of this punishment thing. Like if it smacks of anything that feels too progressive, we seem to either not be able to get legislation passed or we get legislation reversed, like in the case of the EV tax. How, 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 how do we know organizations like SACE are doing great work, but is there something as individual voters, is there something we can do to help? I think get engaged. Uh, we did hear um, in talking with legislators last session that they weren't hearing enough from constituents about why this is an important issue to them. And so as, you know, individuals, making sure that you're connecting regularly with your legislators, find out who they are, call, email, go and meet with them, and let them know what your concerns are. Um, I think there remains a huge gap in civic participation. Of course, we've seen a resurgence of that over the past uh, six months or so. Um, but I can't emphasize enough the value and importance of that and legislators hearing about their interests and priorities. Um, I think it's, it's criti critically important that they do that. Well, and that's sort of funny because I just finished our 300th episode on Speaking of Green, and I ended up spending like, I think, 15 minutes encouraging people to do that. But especially mm -hmm. now if you're an EV driver and you know you are now being unfairly taxed, um, I, I would think that that, that, that would, might motivate EV drivers to call their state legislature and say, hey, <laughs> this, this right. is crazy, and at least get that taken care of. Um, so, But, you know, you all at, at SACE are doing lots of other things. So tell us what else you're doing to advance EVs uh, uh, across the state. Sure. Well, we've launched a new campaign that's called Electrify the South, and you can find uh, basic information at electrifythesouth.org. And we are working to increase consumer education and information about electric vehicles, what vehicles are available, how do you charge, uh, doing ride-and-drive events to give people experience trying out the technology. Uh, we're working to advise municipalities across the southeast region as well as states on charging infrastructure as well as local state um, policy adoption, some of the things I mentioned earlier. Um, so those are a few of the activities that we are currently engaged in, and we would love more folks to uh, sign up to stay involved at electrifythesouth.org. Now, I attended y'all's... Uh 
There's an annual event in the fall, and I'm totally drawing a blank on what it's called. That's the National Drive Electric Week, and it's sponsored primarily uh, by Plug-In America. And um, I am also currently the president of EV Club of the South, and we, uh, SACE, along with EV Club of the South, are one of the primary sponsors of the Atlanta event every year. Uh, this year it will be again at Avalon and Alpharetta on September 9th, which is a Saturday. Uh, we're really excited about that event. We'll have a great showcase of different electric vehicles on the road. Um, we are very hopeful that we will have the newest Nissan LEAF available to display. That is our hope, and we've heard good chances. Um, the new Nissan LEAF is expected to have very close to, if not hitting, the 200-mile range on a single charge, which I think really will um, provide a lot of new interest and opportunities for folks um, in terms of getting into EV technology. So that event we're really excited about. We, there'll also be an event that uh, we're supporting in Athens, Georgia, as well, uh, the following day on Sunday, September 10th. Um, that will also be, you know, allow you to take a look at different cars and possibly do ride and drives on uh, with some of the vehicles. So we are gearing up for those exciting events. And in partnership with the City of Atlanta, we are doing a, a webinar series. Our next webinar is on policy and incentive opportunities on electric vehicles, and that will be July 18th. Uh, from 1 to 2.30 p.m., and folks can go to electrifythesouth.org for more information on that webinar, as well as the SACE website at cleanenergy.org. Um, and that will be our second in our uh, quarterly webinar series in conjunction with City of Atlanta and uh, the Electrification Coalition as well. Well, and I do want to say, um, you know, the Tesla is, well, the Tesla S, at least, is way out of most people's pocketbooks. But if you get right. a chance, at least get to ride in it. It is such an I mean, I am not a car person at all, and I just completely geeked out over that experience. But the reality of it is, is you know, EVs are a great, affordable way um, to, to really change um, the way we think about sustainability. And if you're going to be in the market for a new car with so many options, that's why I love that drive event because I drove out to Alpharetta last year and interviewed a bunch of guys. And it was just fascinating to hear the reasons why people had chose to go electric. You know, it's, it's, it's very much like solar. But it's not, you know, not all of them are really about the environment. Um, there are a lot of guys who are just like, you know, early tech adopters, and they just saw the technology was so cool. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, I don't care why you drive it, you know. I mean, if, if that's what motivates you, great. You know, it's still better for the right. environment. Um, and But it was just really cool. I mean, and just, just here. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting is is I would say maybe half of the people I spoke to, and, and I didn't speak to everybody, but there were at least 30 vehicles there. They had started off on the leaf, and it came time to purchase their second car. They had upgraded and gone into... Some, you know, the Volt or the Kia or something like that. So I thought that that was a really uh, positive response to 
Um, you know, people really enjoying driving electric. Like this is not something that they did, you know, back in the middle of the decade when gas prices were higher and such. So um, that they just really enjoyed driving the cars and the freedom and not having to, you know, stop at the gas station every single week. And, and, you know, it's a lot easier to charge than it was five or six years ago. I mean, it's not just what Georgia Power's done, but a lot of office buildings, right, have adopted chargers. Well, there is this misperception that EVs are just glorified golf carts, and that's simply not true. The technology is phenomenal. If you there there, you know, many videos and things like that online, particularly with Tesla uh, ratings and how they compare to other vehicles. I mean, the technology is phenomenal, and you know, um, when I was in my Nissan Leaf, you know, I would be able to beat many people at the stoplight in terms of acceleration. I mean, it is phenomenal technology, and, and I think just more and more people need to experience that and, and really uh, what, it, what it means and how it operates. And regarding charging, you know, one of our goals is to ensure that everyone has access to a plug, and most people do. Um, you know, at their homes, anybody can plug into just your regular outlet to charge your car. That's what I do. I did not invest in a level two charger at home, and it works just fine for me to charge overnight. And that, you know, most people have access to a plug. I think it's a little bit more difficult in some of the multifamily housing units, but there are, you know, garages at a many, uh, many of those locations where. You know, if you talk to management, you're able to plug in. So that is one of the impediments and things that do that does need to improve is access to charging in apartment buildings and other complexes. Uh, that does remain a hurdle. Uh, but most people do have access to just a regular plug, and, and, and that's just as, a, you know, effective to, to charge if you have the time overnight to do so. But certainly level two charging, which is much faster, you can charge in, in, in half the time of a regular outlet. Um, that is, you know, an ideal technology for many people to ensure that they can take quick trips. But with the longer-range batteries coming online, you know, now and increasing in the fall and into next year, the charging habits and patterns will begin to shift and change. Um, because once you get in that two to three hundred mile range, it's very similar to a gasoline car, and that there's just a lot of freedom that I find of not ever having to stop at a gas station, but just plugging in when I get home at night, and knowing I'll be charged up in the morning and ready to go. Um, so it's just a little bit of a mind shift change, but it doesn't take long to get used to that convenience. Now, so okay, so you've mentioned your EV several times, so tell us what you're driving. So I had a, a Nissan Leaf for two and a half years that I leased, and I absolutely loved that vehicle. But when I was looking at what the projections were once that lease ended for when the next vehicle came, you know, I thought to myself, I, I didn't particularly like leasing a vehicle. I didn't like that responsibility. Um, so I did end up purchasing a Chevrolet Volt um, to basically fill the tide until the longer range Nissan Leaf comes out. Um, and that's a you know, great option. I, I'm able to get 40 miles on a single charge and have the gasoline backup available for longer trips. 
which is very convenient to have. Um, but I did, I very much love the, the LEAF technology, and I do miss driving that vehicle um, and look forward to, to the new ones coming out. Well, and um, tell us tell us how often when you're just in town, you're not traveling, that you have to fill up on gas. So I very rarely, and I do not have it very well tracked because it's fairly, um, it hasn't been very often, but with the 40-mile range, that suits my needs within town most of the day because I have a short commute to the office of about four miles, and then with uh, meetings uh, throughout the day, that uh, that fits my needs on a daily basis. So I, I charge some at work. I charge some at home. Um, but it maybe once a month, depending on my long-distance travel, um, it's very infrequent. Wow, that's that's amazing. I um I don't know if folks remember, but two years ago when the Volt Two, the second you know sort of reengineering of the first one came out, um, I was very honored to be uh, flown up to Detroit for the National Car Show. The only person in the world who got excited about going to Detroit in January. And um, what the, was so interesting um, with the the Volt was, is that people loved their Volt so much, but what they wanted more was range. Like they, even though it's a hybrid and, you know, it's, it's supposed to flip over, in the second version, Volt owners are very, very enthusiastic um, about the cars, but they wanted it to be more electric and were willing to give up a little range in regards to gas to get that more electric. And I thought that was so fascinating um, that, you know, they were willing to give up sort of gasoline range to prevent that range anxiety that everybody's so afraid of um, so they could drive more on electricity. And I, I was just like, that's, I mean, you know, that's perfect, right? I mean, that's that, that proves that, you know, most of the, the back and forth that people do, I mean, you know, in metropolitan areas it's a little bit different, but, you know, for medium cities, you know, you just, unless you've got a killer commute, you really just don't need that extra range. Right, um, and that was an interesting shift for me in going from the Nissan Leaf that had a 100-mile range effectively um, and then going to the the Volt because I, um, as both an environmentalist um, and, you know, a driver, the city driver, I guess, I wanted to, to stay on all electric. Well, with a limited volt range of 40 miles compared to the 100, I was having to charge more frequently than I did uh, the LEAF. And so it was just a little bit of a shift um, in the mentality of recognizing when you need to do that. But I do want to emphasize, too, uh, to, your, to your point earlier on in our discussion about um, the issue of range anxiety and how that you know potentially is different from people needing to go to the gas station and having concerns around that, is the technology is in vehicles, both gasoline and electric, is, is increasingly sophisticated. So there are plenty of warnings and uh, backup systems within electric vehicles that allow you ample time and recognition to know when you need to charge up. So 
to your point, I do think um, the issue of range anxiety is overblown, and the vehicle helps you adapt and adjust. And if you do need to make a little bit of shifts and adjustment in your driving range to ensure that you get uh, to a charging station, uh, there are lots of warnings and, and systems within the vehicle to, um, to allow you to prepare for that. Well, and the other thing is, is um, you know, especially if you're a two-car family, um, it just it makes total complete sense that one of the cars in your family should be electric. And I have um, some dear friends, and that's exactly, and he doesn't have a slacker commute, but um, she's got a hybrid. It's not a plug-in hybrid, but she's got a electric hybrid Ford, and he has a, a, a Leaf. And mm-hmm. he has the commute. She doesn't, I should, but she has to haul things in her car. So, anyway, he has the commute. He's never, he's never, he's never had an issue, right? So, um, I think that's something else that people really need to think about. Like, well, they're like, well, I couldn't do, blah 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 blah. But the reality of it is, um, you know, there's absolutely no reason that if you are two car. Um, family that you shouldn't be able to get away with, by with one electric. And if you start thinking right. about that and how many, what a difference that would make if every every family that was two car, um, and of course there's plenty of families that are three, four cars, um, but just make one of them electric and then sort of see, you know, wh- what the conversation is on the weekends, you know. Do we, do right. can we drive in, right, you know, drive in electric or, you know, do mm-hmm. we really need the, the minivan or whatever. So um, I, th- I think that's an important conversation for families to have. Right. I, I, I think you're right on. And I uh, I think the other thing that electric vehicle technology uh, helps with is you quickly learn what your ranges are, um, how far it is to your office and things like that. And it's not something you um, – have to think about for long term, but you get used to your patterns and and recognition of how far you can go uh, with the different um, with the range that you have. Um, so when you see a hundred miles on there, or you know when some somebody's first getting an electric vehicle, they may think, oh, that's not a lot. But once you um, begin to drive the vehicle, you know that, if you know, going to the grocery store, going to the office, going to pick kids up at school, you are quickly able to adapt and adjust to how many miles it'll take and, um, like I said, just quickly quickly adapt. Um, I sure did and I was, was surprised that, um, that I didn't drive nearly as much as I thought that I did. Well, and and then one more thing, and then um, we should wrap this up as we have our, you know, mutual geek fest over EVs, is unlike your gas car, um, every EV I know of has a computer deck which will tell you where the closest charging station is. Right. You know, and and on your phones as well. One of the best apps out there for finding charging stations is PlugShare.com. Um, and it includes all the different brands of charging stations that are available. You can you can plan trips in advance through the tool based on where charging stations are. So um, there are a lot of tools to help you uh, get where you need to go with ample charging. 
great. Well, Ann, I have enjoyed our conversation so much. I know you're about to head out on vacation, so I hope you all have a wonderful vacation. We'll look forward to seeing you when you get back into town. But thank you so much for getting us up to date and letting us know how we can help further adoption of uh, EVs. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Beth. I appreciate it. All right. We'll see you in the ATL soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So EVs, you know, when we had these conversations five years ago, uh, it was still sort of early adopter stuff. It really isn't, and I really think that uh, every, every car driver deserves when they're looking at their next car that, you know, maybe you're not thinking EV is in your, your future life, but why not take advantage if you're going to be shopping to go drive some EVs and see. Uh, it's just, um, I love I love them. I do not have one yet, um, and my choice, because I'm in one family car, would be to get a Volt, but uh, <clears throat> the... You know, there's there's no excuse not to, and this is sort of an easy play, and they're they're affordable. I mean, they're affordable than a lot of other cars, and so you know, I encourage you to go out and and just test drive. You know, and maybe maybe you're not in the market at all right now for another car, but you know, go test drive anyway. Something fun to do, and you know, if you get a chance, you know, um, uh, Tesla showrooms do not work like regular showrooms, so I'm not sure you can test drive a Tesla at a Tesla showroom, but you can certainly go to one of these drive events and at least get a ride in a Tesla. I tell you, I have a friend who's a Tesla, and I always make him pick me up for lunch because it's just so cool. So anyway, I hope you found this um, helpful, and and you've also found a way where you can help out uh, other EV drivers in the state by contacting your local rep and making sure that we get that EV tax balanced. So um, we have exciting news on August 17th. We are going to have a luncheon um, called Sustainability Conversations. We'll be hearing from public policy, um, city leaders, and business leaders about, you know, what life's like in our new paradigm. And so if you want to attend the luncheon, you can hop over to the Southeast Green uh, calendar, and we have the event up there, and you can um, purchase a reservation. And um, don't forget that we have our business ad, and we're going to learn a little bit more how you can get onto the business directory. And, oh, by the way, If you're on the business director, you get a discount to the lunch. Did you know that one of the ways we like to support the sustainability community is by providing an opportunity for businesses of all sizes to be in our green business directory listing? You should get on it because we are getting thousands of visitors every year on all sizes of businesses, and it's very exciting for the folks who are listed on the green business directory. This is what you do to get on. You go to southeastgreen.com. On the second tab, there is the green business directory listing. Click on that. There will be a drop-down menu, and you can join the green business directory listing today. Not only will you be on the listing, but you will be sent out to over 10,000 accounts on our social media connections, and you'll also be listed in our next newsletter. So what are you waiting for? Join today.